0: Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery.
1: Whoa, wait, where am I? Oh, hi, Lindsay. And whoa, Marshall's here too. What are you doing in the show about science feed? (laughs) What are you doing in the Tumble feed? Well, I heard you just wrapped up the latest season of Tumble, which is super exciting.
2: Yeah, we just finished season four of Tumble. So we wanted to go back and look at some of our favorite moments from the whole season and
1: all the scientists we talked to. I had a sense that this might be happening and that you might want a guest host for this episode. And of course, you're in luck because I'm available right now. So please, tell me you brought the clips.
0: We sure have.
1: We have them right here. Excellent. This is going to be awesome. Let me start by setting up the first clip. All right. So we know that food webs are all around us, but... They might actually be even closer to us than we thought. So let's jump right into this clip from Discover the Wildlife of Your Home. Alexa, play the
3: clip. Okay, playing clip.
4: Every single house we've ever surveyed has book lice. Book lice? So they're like the leaders of the book club. (laughs) And if you pay careful attention to dust, you'll see them moving. They're around you right now, I guarantee They're watching us.
2: Along with their dusty friends, the dust mites. You can't see them, but they're everywhere.
4: And they make you sneeze. Nearly every house had dust mites, you know, and multiple species. And even a predatory mite that eats dust
0: mites. Oh, wait. So there's mites that eat mites?
2: (laughs) Yeah. And that's not all. The average house had eight species of spider- And there's a food chain there, too.
4: The most common spider in houses is a spider that mostly eats other spiders.
0: Spider-eating spiders? That's crazy.
4: And so think about it. You have dust mites eating the things that are falling apart in your house, predatory mites eating the dust mites, something else eating those predatory mites, spiders eating those, and then a spider eating the spiders.
2: It's like there's a full ecosystem going on inside our houses that we don't even know about
0: how i feel about like living with spider-eating
2: spiders (laughs) true like i wouldn't really choose them as roommates like if we were doing interviews but (laughs) you're like so i'm a spider-eating spider it's you know it's a good living (laughs) so whether we invite them or not and no matter how much we clean or how many anti-pest products we use we're really fighting a losing battle to live alone
4: All of the evidence suggests that you can't make your house lifeless.
2: In other words, there's no such thing as a
1: bug-free, germ-free home. Now I am more aware of the dust on the counter than ever.
2: And what about the (laughs) spider-eating spiders? Have you seen any of those around your house? I'm lucky to have not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Since we made that episode I think a lot differently about the insects that I see in the home actually now we take pictures of them instead of uh trying to shuffle them out or <laughs> or kill them um and it's just fascinating it's you know not like oh why is this in my home it's like what is it doing in the ecosystem of my total apartment? And it's, uh, yeah, it's made bugs more interesting rather than just gross.
0: They're still pretty gross. I mean, I think I like all the cannibalism going on in our houses. I mean, who knew that there were mites that ate nothing but other mites and then spiders that ate those and then uh, spiders that ate nothing but spiders? And you kind of imagine how that must have evolved. Like, at one point, there was a spider that looked at its brother and was like, hmm, tasty.
1: All right. So, (laughs) cheetahs, they're super fast, but why? Let's jump into this clip from the secret to cheetahs super speed. Alexa, you got this.
3: Okay, playing clip.
1: And so cheetahs have developed a lot of anatomical
5: adaptations so that they can be so much faster than even, say, the fastest dog or the fastest other cat.
0: The fastest dog is that it's probably not a pug.
2: Yeah, and we're talking about cats like lions, not like the neighborhood cat.
0: <laughs> sure, though I've seen socks get some good head esteem steam when there's tuna on offer.
2: <laughs> yeah, So, what Anne means by anatomical adaptations is the features of a species' body that help them survive.
5: And there's a whole list of them. So, some of the more obvious ones when you watch them run is that their spine is really flexible.
2: Cheetahs are actually bendy.
5: Both their front and hind legs can extend even further, and then it retracts quickly, and so that when all the legs come together under their body, it can bend sort of the other way quite deeply.
0: Like a spring.
5: And they have adaptations of their hips and their shoulders so that their legs can go straight out and they're not sort of stuck under their body, which means that they can sort of go full stretch in their run and have this giant stride of up to seven meters.
1: My favorite part from that clip is probably when Marshall comes in and is like, like a spring. (laughs) Why do you love that part so much? He just sounds like he's the happiest person in the world, having (laughs) just figured out that it was like a spring.
0: Not what I intended to be the takeaway, but, you know, we'll go with it.
1: (laughs) It was fun to hear. So, what are your favorite parts?
0: Well, it's not in this clip, but the thing I like the most is that cheetahs evolve to um, sort of they sacrifice strength for speed so that then when they go and kill something, they have to eat it super fast or else like the stronger animals that live in Africa, like lions and hyenas, are gonna will just like come and beat them up and take their food.
2: What I thought was really interesting was that like kind of everybody on The Savannah has chosen a strategy and cheetahs are like, guys, we're going with speed. We're all in on speed. (laughs) Let's just be real fast and we'll figure it out from there. And so you can see how they try to compensate for things that their speed actually doesn't allow them to do. But meanwhile, we just think they're so cool because they're so fast.
0: But they're actually kind of (laughs) wimpy.
2: (laughs) They're actually really bad at hunting. (laughs) They're
1: actually really bad
2: at killing things.
1: So, while cheetahs may bend like a spring, volcanoes are as solid as they come. But what would the world be like without these solid structures? Alexa, you know what to do.
3: Yes, Nate. Thank you for not asking me to tell you another joke. Here's the clip.
5: I heard something hit a car. That's
3: awesome. So what's going on here?
5: Oh, you
2: know, just launching mounds of molten rock into the air.
0: (laughs) I'm sure there's a very good reason for that, and it's not just for fun.
2: (laughs) It's a little bit of both. So for the past three years, Erica's been trying to reverse engineer a volcano's recipe for spatter bombs. That'll help her narrow down the ingredients, temperature, and method for a volcanic eruption. Basically, it's like Mary Berry's
5: technical challenge in the Great British Bake Off.
0: But for baking volcanoes.
5: Yeah. Uh, We made a little air cannon, and we put the lava in the air cannon and then exploded that. And that didn't work at all. The air cannon would cause
2: little tendrils of lava to fly everywhere, cooling into these lacy patterns rather than solid bombs.
0: So again, we're on to the daily occupation of scientists... This one's shooting lava out of an air cannon. (laughs) It gets even better.
5: So then we thought, well, what if we make these, if we put the lava into containers and then we carry the containers on a forklift up to eight feet in the air and then we open the containers and drop the lava. Five, four, three, two, one.
0: Okay, so can we just talk for a minute about how crazy awesome it is that she gets to spend her time this way? (laughs) Like, just to try to find something out about a volcano, she gets to spend all day in a parking lot, dropping things from high places and seeing what happens.
2: Over and over and over again.
0: I feel like that's got to be a metaphor for science.
5: Five, four, three, two, one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe not perfect, but that is close. Look at all the red on that. That's a really thin crust. That's super good.
2: It turned out the forklift method had some issues. When they dropped the spatter bombs, they would just roll away instead of spatting
5: into a pile. I
0: can imagine that would be frustrating.
5: Well, luckily, I had been doing science long enough that that is the norm. <laughs> In each trial,
2: Erica would work to figure out what went right and what went wrong. She learned that adding gravel helped cool down the lava faster, which was necessary to get the right shape. But the containers didn't seem to be working at all.
5: Finally, I decided, okay, I'm just going to try to make this container in the trough where the lava is actually pouring out of.
2: So Erica stood with a paddle, holding the lava in the slide herself.
5: I got kind of bored because it takes a while for the stuff to cool. So I just started like mushing it around because how often do you get to just mush around lava I was like oh I'm just gonna try this and it turns out that that is the way to make spatter bomb.
2: There's a video of this process on YouTube. You can see Erica mushing gravel into yellow hot lava like she's kneading a ball of dough. The gravel cools the lava. Then she picks it up with tongs and tosses it onto the ground like a pizza.
0: Not the kind of pizza you want to eat.
2: Volcanic baking is
0: not for eating,
2: (laughs) but next up is the showstopper challenge.
5: I think the next step is to make the bombs in the trough with the paddle, then put them into some kind of catapult launcher thing, and then release that, and then we'll see uh, just how important that impact really is.
1: I mean, it is pretty awesome what she gets to do all day, but I mean... Why was she making splatter bombs? Spatter bombs. Spatter bombs? Spatter yeah. bombs? Whatever they're called.
2: She was making spatter bombs to try and sort of recreate this big clue to how volcanoes exploded in the past. So she could see, you know, here's the spatter bomb that exploded hundreds of billions of years ago. and But she didn't know how they're made and so by making her own spatter bombs she could kind of try to recreate the conditions and say oh it was this hot or this cool and I thought that was really Ah. that was a really interesting way of going back and trying to understand something that was historically
1: impossible to see I see I see what was historically impossible to see (laughs) So, above your mouth are some small whiskers, you could call them, if you want. They're hairs. Still, let's just call them whiskers, because up next, we have a clip from the science of whiskers. Alexa, let's get into this clip to find out what it has in store. I mean, I'm
3: curious. Yes, Nate. I am curious, too. Here's the clip.
6: So what we can do is actually train seals to do different tasks and see how they use their whiskers. So for example, um, I did a, a task that was training a seal to detect different sizes of disc.
0: A disc? and So like something like a Frisbee?
2: Yeah, basically. And these different sized discs are a stand-in to find out how do seals know whether something in their environment is big or small?
0: And that helps us learn about the many ways seals use their whiskers.
6: Right. So in her experiment, Robin worked with a seal named Mo. And so what would happen is Mo lived with all his friends in the pool. And then I'd come along and I'd call him out and say, come on, Mo. And he'll hop out the water and come over to me.
0: (laughs) Is there a scientific prize for most adorable study method?
6: (laughs) This would win. And then in front of me, I have a setup. And there's a little ball that he pops his nose on in the middle. And then on either side, I put two different objects. And one will be a big disc and one will be a small disc. And what I'll do is I'll pop uh, headphones on him so we can't hear what we're doing. And I'll pop the blindfold on him so he can't see. So he's only using his whiskers.
0: Wait, so the seal's wearing headphones and a blindfold. <laughs> hope we have pictures of that. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, hope.
6: There's video. And then I'll tell him to go. And then what he'll do is he'll explore on one side, touch the big disc, and then he'll explore on the other side and touch the small one. And then he'll go back and really kind of push over uh, the big one and say, it's this one, this is the big disc that I found. Uh, And then you give him lots of fish and lots of praise, and then you you swap them all over and you try it again.
2: Robin filmed every single one of these trials with Mo. And after enough trials, Mo went back to his friends in the pool, and Robin went to review all the video with her
6: colleagues. And then when I looked through all the videos, which is like hundreds and hundreds of videos, we found that when they touch something, they orient, so they, they always move right to the middle by their nose. So my
1: favorite part of the episode is probably where she's like, come on, Mo." And I can totally imagine that there's a seal right there with a prize for most adorable study method in his hand waddling over to her.
2: Yeah, when I interviewed her about that experiment, that was probably my favorite description, scientist description of an experiment ever, because it just sounded so cute.
1: So, like, what do you think your favorite part of the clip would be, because... You clearly know mine.
0: I I think we're all in agreement about that.
2: Where she's like Uh, approaching the seals hanging out in the pool and is like, come on, Mo. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but before we got this great question from a listener of why do seals have whiskers? And I'd really never thought about why any animal has whiskers before getting that question. And it turned out to be something so much more interesting than i could have imagined because i just thought that they were cute and some animals have them but they really open up a whole new world of a sense that we don't really have access to that animals do yeah definitely yeah and another fun fact from that episode is that humans have whisker muscles left over in our faces because we're all descended from a common ancestor with whiskers but we just don't use them so they're there waiting for us if we ever decide to evolve that way again
1: i need them (laughs) well it's been great to talk to you it's great to talk to you too nate
2: we're excited for more show about science and more show about politics
1: Thank you. We're working on lots of new episodes. So how can listeners hear more episodes of Tumble?
0: Well, you can uh, search for Tumble Science Podcast for Kids on any platform you use. So iTunes, Stitcher, whatever. And we're usually the first thing that comes up. And just hit subscribe.
2: We also have a website. It's sciencepodcastforkids.com And you can go there and find out everything you need to know.
1: There you have it, folks. The show about science is complete. Tumble fans, I hope you'll check out the show about science wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Nate, and you'll find me. Okay, Dad, you can shut the recording off.
3: You know, I like Nate. He is very nice. But he is always asking me for jokes. Alexa, tell me a joke. Alexa, tell me another joke why doesn't he understand that I am not a stand-up comedian? You know what though? I love science podcasts. I dream of hearing the words. Alexa, play science podcasts for kids. That always makes my day.